Movies. Seen them? Great. We're back. We're back online. I'm back from vacation. Stop fucking around. We're back. I just got back from the south. I wish I was not back on the east coast, but it's good to be back. But I do like the tropical south. I got a tan. Were you wondering? I got a tan. It's exactly 4.20 p.m. What time is it? 4.20 p.m. I got a tan. Keeping my skin moist. We're back on the pod. Uh, welcome back to Gosh I Love Movies. I'm wearing my new sunglasses. I'm tan. I'm moisturized. I'm feeling great. It's a beautiful day. Figured I'd jump in the garage studio uh, and give you some more content. I've been meaning to make an episode about a movie I saw recently, Brazil. The movie's called Brazil. And it's a great title song. Is that what it's called? The song written for the movie, the theme song, title song? The It wasn't even written for the movie. It came out like 10, 15 years prior. It is Brazil by Jeff and Maria Moldor. Play a little tidbit. Can you hear it? Hey, it's me, Fuckstick the Clown. I stopped the recording when I tried to play that song. Doo-doo. Doo-doo. Again, we have a recording mishap, and I'm talking to myself. Doo-doo. Obviously, still have a lot to learn. So, back into the movie. Make up for lost time. This movie has a great, what I would call an ensemble cast. And if you don't agree, go fuck yourself. Brazil, 1985, sci-fi fantasy, 2 hour 12 minutes. Like we said, bit more than hour 45. Obviously, hour 45 is kind of my preferred cap, but this movie still went with it, still enjoyed it, still had a blast. Checked my phone a couple times. Checked it a couple times. Are you the police? Back off, back, off, back down. Stand down and stand by. This movie has a fantastic cast. Led by Jonathan Price. Um, if you don't know who Jonathan Price is, get your head in a book because he's a great British actor. Born in Carmel, United Kingdom. He's six foot tall, and he was married in 2015. Recently married. Good for him. Later in life, um, he's fantastic in this movie. I mean, he was fantastic as the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones. A little callback to that. We got Bobby D in this. Bobby De Niro. My personal hero, my favorite actor. Um, I mean, the 90s for Bobby D was like the 70s for cocaine. It was fucking peak. It was hello. He had Casino. He had Goodfellas. He had Raging Bull in the 80s. Oh, my God. It was just incredible. 90s were great for Joe Pesci as well. Um, Michael Palin is in this, and I was thinking to myself, why is Michael Palin of Monty Python fame in this movie? And I realized Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam's the director. He was in Monty Python. So there's your connection. This movie had a budget of $15 million. Big budget in 85. Uh, made $10 million in the U.S., so obviously did not make its money back, but it has a cult following. 
We have Bob Hoskins in this movie, who was the lead detective in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Hello, another fantastic movie. He was also Mario in Super Mario Brothers. Terrible movie. Didn't watch it, but I've heard about it. So, as you can see, there's a great cast here, and let's top it off with Kim Greist. She is the romantic lead, the female lead. Um, she is an ethereal character in this movie, and she is retired from acting. She is settled in Connecticut. So, hey Kim, sending out positive messages to you, applaud you for getting out of the industry. It's a toxic shithole, so good for you. Enjoy Connecticut. So this movie, um, we'll give you a summary. Low-level bureaucrat Sam Lowry, who is played by Jonathan Price, escapes the monotony of his day-to-day -day life through a recurring daydream of himself as a virtuous hero, saving a beautiful damsel. Investigating a case that led to the wrongful arrest and eventual death of an innocent man instead of wanted terrorist Harry Tuttle, played by Robert De Niro, he meets the woman from his daydream, played by Kim Christ, and in trying to help her, gets caught in a web of mistaken identities, mindless bureaucracy, and lies. Now, what I love about this movie is it, it has its head up its own ass, and I love that in a movie. It is incredible. It is whimsical. It is fun. It's fantastical. It has incredible 80s visual effects, which you know is my kink. And this movie just delivers in every way. I almost watched it again. And if that's not enough for you, you shouldn't be listening. Shut off your phone, go to bed, take a nap. Because the day I watch movies twice is the day I jump off a bridge and I almost watch this movie twice in a row. Within a 10-year span, which barely ever happens. That's how much I enjoyed it. Um, this movie inspired the Tim Burton Batman of 1990 or 1989, I believe. Can we fact check, Jamie? Hold, please. 1989. Um, it inspired the, the vibes of that movie. And Tim Burton did the Batman Returns as well, right? In 92. He did. Yeah, so Tim Burton was inspired by this movie for the kind of set design of his Batman movies that made Batman what it is now. I mean, without 89 and 92 Batman, you wouldn't have 2022 Batman, obviously. Um, he, w he, he and his set designer were inspired by this movie for, for that vibe. And rightly so, because this movie has some incredible direction in set design and in storyline, character development, costume. It is essentially a satire of a surveillance state, of an autocracy. It's essentially like a Nazi West. So it's like if the Nazis won and the 80s were... Well, it's not set in the 80s. It's, it's set in a 40s retro-futuristic that's what it is. It's retrofuturistic. So it's as if it's as if the 80s existed in the 40s. That's what the movie is. And there's like old-time future cars and like old-time future technologies, which I love. And it's like an autocracy. It's like a surveillance state where you're being watched at all times. There's uh armed police and wearing essentially Nazi uniforms, very similar. Um, it's, it's very 
Well, I mean, just to give you more context in that one of the first scenes of the movie, the police burst into an apartment with guns drawn and uh, capture a man for questioning. Um, They literally cut a hole in the ceiling of the apartment above this apartment and dive through the ceiling. Um, That just gives you an idea of the silliness here. It's really just how do I even describe it? It is a maraschino cherry of a movie. It is sweet. It's subtle. It is a pop of brightness. It's it's contour. It's shape. It's color. It's spectacular. It's such an interesting idea. I don't understand really how this got made. It's a part of a triplet set of movies made by Terry Gilliam. It's this, and then it is, I believe it's the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, and then the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Or, you know, I think it's actually Time Bandits is in the in the thruple. I don't remember exactly, but it's like a similar uh, kind of tet-for-tat storyline with those two other movies um, that have to do with time and and that of the like. So this movie obviously went through a rigorous creative process, many different perspective titles. Uh, Terry was heavily inspired by Federico Fellini, who did the classic film Eight and a Half, which really is a gem. Uh, Get on your Criterion account. Watch that shit. Um, Incredible movie. Black and white. Very uh, great mid-19th century. I'm sorry, mid-20th century film. Um, But he wanted to name this... 1984 and a half, I believe. But was dissuaded when the 1984 remake came out. Or the 1984 movie came out um, in the same decade. in In the... years preceding this one so he he moved away from that but um this movie to give you an idea of notable scenes we have oh you know what hold on let me just digest this summary because the summary i gave is a whole bunch of fuck mumbled words um jonathan price is like a pencil pusher and he is having these recurring dreams about this woman kim grice But he doesn't know she exists. And one day he finds her in person. And that starts this snowball effect of happenings and shenanigans and goings on. Um, He desperately wants to be with Kim Grice's character. And the movie is guided by his love for her and their relationship. Which, I mean, or lack thereof. It's kind of, she's kind of like, fuck off. And he's like, I love you. He's pretty creepy. Uh, And they don't match at all. And they're not a match for each other. And they're not compatible. But whatever um and it also is heavily influenced by his work for the police state for the state so he's like a pencil pusher at an office and he is close with his manager and they are essentially paperwork organizers for like wanted individuals like people that the state wants to question um that's all intricate to the 
totalitarianism and basically in this movie you have people getting summoned for questioning um, and getting killed and tortured by Michael Palin he's the uh, friend of Sam Lowry um, and he's like a they have very interesting job titles he's like the information procurement or something it's, it's just very tongue-in-cheek um, very fun flick and you have this influence of air ducts everywhere there are air ducts in every single room like for airflow in every single scene essentially this this world is influenced by air ducts and there's this one umbrella company um that produces the air ducts and it's essentially like apple for air ducts if you can imagine that it's it's this movie's been called Kafkaesque and absurdist. Uh, it's not necessarily absurd, but it's a quote unquote dystopian satire. Um, let me get the name. Can I get the name of this air duct? Hyperconsumerist. I love that title for this. Um, Central Services. Yeah, it's called Central Services, and it's like the apple of air ducts. And there's a funny scene in this movie where Sam Lowry, Jonathan Price, tries to fix his heating. And he's essentially told that it's against... Well, no. He's, he tries to fix his heating and he uses Robert De Niro, who is this rogue heating engineer. That's what's funny about this movie. is like the main antagonist is Robert De Niro who literally is just a heating repair man that doesn't work for central services. It sounds like it doesn't make any sense, but it's literally just a guy that doesn't work for this air duct company going around fixing air ducts that he's not supposed to fix. And there's like terrorism. He's tied to terrorists because he's like a rebel. So he's like a revolutionary. It's so ass backwards, but it's incredible. And essentially he befriends Jonathan Price, Sam Lowry, and it starts this relation, this friendship of kind of rebellion and revolution against the state. So this whole movie is how Sam Lowry slowly from the inside out tries to break down this totalitarian regime and get with Kim Greist and live happily ever after. Uh, his mother in this movie, let's get her name because she was a fucking character. Sam Lowry's mother played by Catherine Helmond, Mrs. Ida Lowry. She's like a matriarch of the family. Sam Lowry doesn't have a father. He died. And Miss Ida Lowry is close with the head of this police state. And she keeps trying to get Sam these promotions. And his family is rooted in this police state. His father was a part of this police state. So he's constantly going against not only this this regime but his own family and their legacy etc so it's a deep meaning with a funky look and the look is so worth it you watch this movie just for the look because it's huge fake sets like the model the miniatures where it with the perspective it looks like it's full size so you have skyscrapers and almost a metropolis uh you have your metropolis inspiration 
the classic silent German film. Um, the name of the director is escaping me. Fritz Lang. Um, that's definitely an inspiration here. You have, I mean, 1984, obviously, with Big Brother. is a huge inspiration for this, huge influence of this. Um, and that all ties together for this plot and the storyline. It's just incredible. It's, it was really well done. I'm really happy with it. And this makes me want to dive into Terry Gilliam more because I'm not familiar with his directorial works. Uh, what's funny as well is there's this poking of fun at plastic surgery and, and kind of technological advances in appearance and, and kind of changing your look based on what society tells you. That's really funny because obviously we've gone ass up with plastic surgery now. It's just insane what people are doing to themselves. They've become characters like cartoons. And in this movie, his mo Sam Lowry's mother, Jonathan Price's mother, gets all these facelifts and face snips and she looks like a monster it's her skin is being stretched and pulled with these 80s prosthetics it's so good and my man um what's my man's name he plays a plastic surgeon love this actor hold on hold please ho please please hold jim broadbent oh i love jim broadbent I love Jim Broadbent. He was in so many movies. He was in Hot Fuzz. He was in The Borrowers from my childhood. Chronicles of Narnia. He plays a plastic surgeon, and his he's just so funny. And there's two competing plastic surgeons that are working on the two different matriarchs in this movie. It's Sam Lowry's mother and then a family friend. Sam Lowry's mother keeps getting all these facelifts and is wearing bandages and constantly makes herself look younger. And this family friend is working with this other plastic surgeon whose name is... He's not a famous actor, but the character's name. I remember it being tongue-in-cheek as well. Dr. Chapman. Yeah, that's not really anything, but Dr. Chapman. Um, she slowly, like, melts into goo as a result of this plastic surgery. She takes it so far, and the doctor keeps saying, no, no, it's supposed to look like that. Like, you'll be fine in a couple of days. And she, throughout the movie, keeps wearing more bandages and more bandages and looks worse and worse and worse, and eventually just disintegrates. It's great. I love it. And there's a scene in a restaurant. This was really interesting. Um, they're sitting in a restaurant during Sam's lunch break at work. He's with his mother and this family friend, this other matriarch. And they're ordering food, and the food comes as goo. It's just like, oh, steak and potatoes comes as a goo. Uh, milkshake comes as a goo. Egg salad comes as a goo. And they eat it, and it tastes like that food, which is so just funny. So funny. So uh, creative. Love that shit. And it's this swanky restaurant with these swanky waiters, and they just serve you mush, flavored mush. And what's also funny about this, we talk about the revolutionaries and the ter they're branded terrorists, but obviously we see they're just fighting against the, the security state. Um, there's constant scenes where people keep popping out and like setting off bombs and you see these rebels kind of popping up throughout the movie and police just come out and start attacking them while everything else is still going on. So they're sitting at this restaurant. There's a huge explosion in the corner and the waiter's still coming up, taking their order and acting as if nothing has happened. Um, 
it's just great. It's hilarious. It's a really good movie. Um, on to the next segment. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. What I recommend is... Oh shit, I just kicked a bunch of stuff over in the garage studio. Yeah, 100% I'd recommend this to a friend. Watch it right now. Get off your ass. Put on the movie. Dedicate two hours and watch it. Get off your phone. It's incredible. It deserves your attention. It has Jonathan Price, Kim Greist, romantic leads. He finds her out of a dream. He falls in love with her. He gets her to fall in love with him. They eventually... Oh my god, I didn't even talk about like the end of this movie. Fucking bozo. Uh, spoiler alert. They finally get together. After going tit for tat back and forth. They finally get together at the end of this movie. She loves him. They make sweet love in, in bed. And then she's get she gets killed by the police. He gets taken for questioning. And who is questioning him other than his friend, Michael Palin? the uh, information procurement he tortures him into psychosis and there's a major twist ending in this movie where you think um, Jonathan Price is rescued by Robert De Niro and the rebels they come and rescue him but it's all just a mirage it's a vision while he's sitting in the torture chair and at the end of the movie you realize he's living out his dreams in his head when really he's fucked he's he's gonna die and his life is over and it's really dark comedy. Oh, so good. So impactful. Love it. He's living out paradise in his head, but he's in hell on the outside. He's about to die. He's about to be tortured on the outside, but he's living out happily with Kim Greist, um, whose character name is Jill Layton. He's living with Jill Layton in happiness outside of the police state, uh, whereas really he's dead. Or he's going to die. So, would I recommend to a friend? Yes, 100%. Watch it now. So good. Next segment. Cinematography Corner. Cinematography Corner. Uh, welcome back. This movie's cinematography is A1 steak sauce, baby. Um, you've got some incredible dream sequences that are shot very beautifully um, in Jonathan and Sam Lowry's visions where he sees Jill Layton before he meets her, where he finds this love interest in his dreams. He is wearing these majestic wings and has long, luscious hair. It's flying through the sky. It's gorgeous. There's a glimmer. There's mystique. There's love. There's glamour. There's mystery. There's fucking love. There's fighting. There's tense violence and scared there's there's flying it's incredible and it's so 80s it's the most 80s sequence of all time but it's so good it's beautiful and just the sets the set design the, sh the way they shot the grandiose nature of these buildings is done so well there's one scene where bobby d goes off a zip line on the side of the building and escapes into the night and the way that looks is incredible. Um, the way Sam Lowry argues with his desk mate at his job in the police state is hilarious. It's shot in a way that shows this room 
cut in half into an even smaller room and they share a desk in the middle of the room that's also cut in half and you have to pull the desk to get more space which then pulls the desk from your colleague giving them less space it's so good it shot so good it looks so great the way the camera follows a character which plays Sam Lowry's manager in this office he's being he's corralling all these employees they're chomp, chomping at the bit to talk to him to give him advice to listen to him it's like that typical 80s finance where people are crowding around each other and blah, 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 talking all at once and they're the camera's following him around fantastic it's just we don't get very technical in the cinematography corner I'm not talking about wide shots fucking all that other stuff we're talking love we're talking feeling I'm giving you everything I got I'm giving you everything I got here. Take it from me. Use it. Take it. Use it. And the cinematography's great. Who's the cinematographer? Let's find out together. Hello. Hello. Let's see. Do they have it on Google? Roger Pratt. <sighs> I can't. There's no picture of him on Wikipedia. But Roger, you did a fucking great bang on job. Everything about this movie is a 10. I wouldn't change a damn thing. Watch it now. Get out of my face. Turn this off. Give me a five-star review. Subscribe, like, review on every platform. Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. Now do it, please do it please i'm like george costanza i'm just kind of hanging out i'm fun employed i'm having a fucking blast i want to go on another vacation right now right now i want to go on another vacation i want to go to seattle please can i go to seattle please please I'm going to go to Seattle. Is this for me? Is this mine? <laughs> I'm going to stay there like Twin Peaks, Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah, so that's about it. Wrap it up. Um, first pod back from vacation, baby. Uh, I'm back. Juice is loose. I'm Big Juicy. Thank you for listening. Have a great night. Thank you for your time. God bless.